Um, let's see. Now this is this is gonna. I don't know who asked for. It. Was it you, Kathy, who asked for Psalm 141? Somebody asked for it, and unfortunately, Maddie asked for it. That's always good because it's all about incense and prayers, and you know, I'm glad this is all gonna go on the radio. Um, all right, Psalm 141. Here we go. If you got a Bible, pop it open. Let's read it once, and then uh, then we'll see what we see. Okay. A Psalm of David. So that's always helpful. O Lord, I will call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in the company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the traps they have laid for me, from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Okay? So just any, any reaction to that? What comes to mind when you hear that? I mean, I've got some things I want to talk to you about, but just what, what do you hear in all that? Yeah, that's probably the start. Keep me away from evil. Now, why would that be? Let's just start there, okay? Keep me away from evil. Why is that a helpful thing? Yeah, that's good. So it's all around you. It's battering you. What else do you know about evil? It's not all around you and battering you. What else? Yeah, keep going. That's a good Lutheran answer. Yes. Is, e is evil uh, easy to engage or difficult to engage? Very easy to engage. And oftentimes, uh, evil sort of masks itself as what? Something good or something bad? Exactly right. That's why Satan is called the father of lies, right? All lies is, is, well, in some sense, a lie is simply telling you something, something bad uh, in such a way that you actually believe it's good. Like in the garden, um, when, when Eve is at the tree, um, When Eve is at the tree, at first glance with the serpent, does she think it's good or bad? She probably thinks it's bad. I probably shouldn't do this. What's going on in her head? Yeah, what did the Lord say to her in Eden? Don't, yeah. And here's the thing. Well, let me ask you this first. Was don't touch that tree a gospel word or a law word? It's a gospel word. Why was it a gospel word? Yes, because if you touch it, it will kill you. It's like when you go to uh, it's like when you go to Niagara Falls and they say don't walk past the line you might die. Is that law or gospel? It's the gospel. Remember? It's the gospel because gospel is everything that's for you. It might be the Lord calling. 
Abby's here, so she's not. Hey, hey. Who's your father? Ooh, shh, it's her dad. <laughs> okay. All right, so um, he says, don't touch the tree. Uh, and she probably at first glance realizes that's not going to be best for her. But what does Satan continue to do? Comes closer? Yeah. Did God really say, don't? Yeah, right. Did God really say not to touch the fruit, right? Did God really say don't go near it? So Satan gets closer and closer and closer. And finally, when you touch evil, what happens? Yeah, in fact, you need to begin to think this way. Touching something gives it incarnation, gives it life. Okay? So if you touch evil, you give evil life. If you touch Christ, you give Christ's life. That was the reading, that's why we read 1 John, right? If you're children of, if you're sinning, you're children of the devil. If you do good deeds, you're children of Christ. And who is sort of the classic example of touching Christ and giving incarnation, of course, is Mary, right? Why are you laughing? I know, Mary. Mary. So touching it gives it incarnation. That's a good place to start, okay? So evil is very enticing. Stay away from it. What else did you hear in the psalm? calls it. Well, no, I just, it could be like, you know, someone's sick or. Next time, let me answer. Yes, so, so to accept, listen to this, verse five, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Okay, corporal punishment in the eighth grade, maybe. Just kidding. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. What is oil good for? In the scriptures, what's oil used for? Anointing, yeah. And when you anoint someone, you bless them. So you have to connect the dots here. If rebuking comes with oil, and oil goes with blessing, uh, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Rebuking is a blessing, okay? Rebuking is a blessing. If it comes from a righteous person. And ultimately, the righteous one is Christ. So, So you've got evil... And then you've also got here, um, you've got evil, and the opposite of evil would be, um, say that again? Yeah, good. That, uh, if there's there's got to be a better word for that. Let's just say best. Okay? So you've got the one who's best, who if he offers rebuke, that's a gift. What else do you hear in the psalm? When would you expect this psalm to be prayed? In the evening. Yeah. It's part of evening prayer. In fact, this is, Psalm 141 is the evening prayer psalm. You ever been to evening prayer? You've been to this. You, Christmas Eve, we do evening prayer. And we sing, it's always fun. This is great. This is, how, this is why, you know, churches are so goofy. We all sing, let my prayer rise before you as incense. And what don't you ever smell? Incense! <laughs> you know? It's just like, well, it's a little goofy. It's al- it almost becomes kitsch when you do that. But, uh... That's beside the point. So it's sung at evening prayer. Uh, it's sung at vespers. Let my prayer rise before you as incense. Now, when in the Old Testament, do you remember, when did they use incense? Or where might be a better question. 
in the temple. Yeah, in the sacrifices, how often do they burn incense? Daily. And what time of day do they burn incense? At night. Remember, it was a big deal if the priest got to go in and put more incense on. Okay? So they burned incense at night, and it was part of their prayer. Why was, why was incense so important to their prayers? What happens in prayer? Yeah. So it gives you... See, here's the thing. Moderns, uh, unlike postmoderns and, and unlike Israelites of the first century, Jews of the first century, moderns um, are not always sensual people. And by that I mean the five senses are not always engaged. Or it doesn't matter for them if they're engaged. I mean, for some of you, I would think if you, if you come to church... It doesn't matter if you see it, it doesn't matter if you touch it, taste it, smell it, or hear it, if you see it, it's one thing, right? That may be, well, there are a couple senses that might work for you, hearing and seeing. But if you talk to a postmodern, hey, if you talk to a postmodern, how many senses need to be engaged? All of them. If you're a first century Christian, how many senses need to be engaged? All of them. So when they, so when, uh, you know, in the first century, when they baptized people even, um, what did they do? They'd speak a word, they'd splash water on them, they'd light incense, they'd put oil on their forehead. Uh, they walked them into the baptistry, which looked like Eden. So you couldn't escape the reality that God was making all things new. That's precisely the way it was in the temple. Okay? Precisely the way it was. Now today, if you don't have incense, is it a big deal? You excluded. Is it a big deal? Yeah, I love you. I know. You go to the hospital. I've heard it over and over again. That I'm going to get the hospital bill, and then I'm going to come visit. I know. I know. Okay, so some people can't take all five senses. In Eden, when you get back there, you'll have it all back, and you'll love incense. It'll be great. I know you doubt it. Yeah, okay. Good. Yeah, keep a watch over my mouth, oh, Lord, right? <laughs> okay, so incense. So, uh, so they lit it at night. The priest went in, he lit the incense at night, and partly that was not only to symbolize their prayers going up, but it was also a good smell, and the five senses are very important. What else do you get from the psalms? Thank you. Yeah, keep going. Good. Yeah? Okay, good. We want to go there. Um, think about for a minute, while the vicar finds me, racer, think about for a minute, um, did one of you steal it? I know. I still love you. Um, boy, that's unfortunate. Okay. Keep, talk about that for a minute. Will you talk about that for a minute? Make the connections for us. Yeah. Okay. Yes, good. Yep, okay, good. So, um, 
Jesus, right. What, yeah, let's even push beyond the Garden of Gethsemane, but I think you're right, that's where it all starts. But think about Good Friday, okay? What do you know about the crucifixion event? Tell me some of the things that are characteristic of it. Go ahead. That's all right. Yep, okay, good. Flog, strike, what else? Good. So someone struck him and someone rebuked him. Were they righteous men or unrighteous men? Isn't this striking? It's the complete opposite of Psalm 141. You accept the strike of a righteous man. So if Christ had struck someone else, that would be a blessing. But when they strike him, it's a curse. Okay? So you're right. This is all Jesus. You've got regular Jesus, characteristic, and then you've got upside-down Jesus. They do precisely the opposite to Christ, uh, as the psalmist David asks to be done to him. Okay? Makes his way to the cross. He's struck. He's rebuked. What else do you know about the crucifixion? Yeah, so the only time he opens his mouth is to ask for blessing on someone else, right? And that's what Isaiah says, like a, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, to the shears, you know, he was silent. What else do you know about the crucifixion? Think, think time of day, what happens? Goes dark at noon. Now, does it normally go dark at noon? So what happens at noon? What does it look like to the world? When they see this, what does it look like? Nighttime. No, not even a big storm. It looks like nighttime. There is, um, yes. Okay, so here's how, here's how, here's how things work time-wise. So here's Adam and Eve. I thought you were talking about BS down here. <laughs> and women's Bible study. Okay? Women's. Okay. Sorry. For those of you who are offended by that, I would like to publicly apologize. You know, here's the thing. This seating arrangement, is, I'm curious. It, it's sort of scaring me, all of you just staring. Because now, when you used to be able to, like, twiddle your thumbs under the table and, like, pass a note to someone and say, this is terrible. No, not chit-chatting. Remember, we had that last week in the back corner. I forget who was back there. Yeah, I, I forget who was back there. But there was a lot of chit-chatting, uh, not unlike being in eighth grade. But, um, no, I mean, you're all looking at me like, I'm just... Okay, so here's how time works. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've been, I've been to the Joy Group before. Yeah, exactly. When one person, when one person in the joy group said, I said, I said at one point, this was a couple years ago. This is when I used to think I could say something and get away with it. Not anymore. I once said, you know, if members are unhappy, they should go someplace else. This guy stood up in the back and said, I think you should go someplace else. <laughs> hey, you know what? I give him credit. At least he told me what he thought. Okay. <laughs> Guess what? I'm still around. Okay. All right. So. Look at, see, now they're all talking. I can't, Rachel, help me bring this thing back together, okay? Jeez. I prep and I prep and I prep, and you all come down and just talk. Okay. No. Uh, Miss Cole, what does it say right there at the top? 
What psalm are we doing today? 141. I prayed at 840 right before I put some notes down. Okay? Now, uh, go back to Genesis 1. I know. This is what you do when you don't know what to say. Go back to Genesis 1. Yeah, in the beginning. No, not the fall. See, that's why you're a good Lutheran. You always want to go right to sin. We're going to go to grace and Eden and gifts. All right. Genesis, yeah, he had to create before someone could ruin it, okay? Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And now just look at this. Verse 3. God said, let there be light. There was light. Isn't this great? Uh, so the first thing he creates is what? Light. Remember, he orders everything, because chaos is of the law, order is of the gospel. That's why if you're type A, you're more sanctified than if you're type B, okay? Raise your hands if you're type A. Thank you, Jen. That's Thank you, Kathy. That's good. I know, I know. Jen's the one who had all the chairs lined up six inches apart. She actually borrowed my ruler, and then somebody came down and scattered them all around. Yeah, that's right. And God said, let there be light. Okay, so the first thing he does is he brings light, which is, the light is during the day. He brings day. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So now he says, uh-oh, people need to sleep. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Yeah, isn't that, that is very strange, actually. And no one to sleep. Nothing to sleep yet, yeah. Now, look at verse 8. And God called the expanse heaven. Yes, Maddie, see? Now we're going to get to that, so you need to hold that thought for about 8 minutes and 22 seconds. I'm just about to that point, okay? So keep track of that. Verse 8, and God called the expanse heaven, uh, or sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Okay? Uh, look at verse 13. There was evening, and there was morning the third day. Please leave your cell phones and your keys at the door. <laughs> Maybe she wants to phone in for the class. All right. Well, now that I broke my rhythm, uh, evening and there was morning, the third day. Now, what's going on? You can figure this out. The Lord sets things up so that there is an evening and there's a morning every day. Okay, it's very simple. So from Adam and Eve on, there is an evening and there is a morning. All right? Now, what happens at the crucifixion? What day does Jesus die? Friday. Which is what day of the week? Six, right? Remember, if you're a Jew, if you're a Jew, your Sabbath is what day? Saturday. And obviously, Saturday is the seventh day, okay? So he dies on Friday. On Saturday, the seventh day, what happens to him? He takes his Sabbath rest in the tomb. And then on Sunday, not the first day, but the first day of the, of the new creation, what number? Eight, he rises from the dead. Now what you have going on is you have evening 
and mourning all throughout history. When Jesus dies on the cross and everything goes dark, you have fully and finally evening. This is the evening to end all evenings. Okay? Now, in the temple, what do they do at evening? They light a sacrifice, they light incense, they say their prayers, and when they say the prayers, what do they do with their hands? My hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, go back to Psalm 141. Verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. What does Jesus do on the cross? Lifts up his hands. Okay? This is fully and finally the priestly sacrifice that's to be offered at evening in the temple. This is the evening to beat all evenings. There is evening and there is morning all throughout creation, and then Christ goes to the cross, and fully and finally evening has come, even at noon or 3 o'clock, right? Evening has fully and finally come in the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross. Got it? That makes sense? Remember, the very first week we talked about the Psalms, we said every Psalm, while David may pray it, finds its fulfillment in whom? In the person of Christ. And that doesn't just mean that Jesus sort of talked about these or Jesus prayed these himself. It means that Jesus is the fulfillment of what David is about to pray. Okay? It's all about Christ. Isaac, how are you? Come on, man. Keep coming. Okay? Now, obviously, uh, how many of you were here for the Easter Vigil? Raise your hand. Do you remember the very, I wish we had it. Vic, I know I'm running around like a dirty dog right now, but will you, I, I know you're going to say I'm the Vic, but will you, uh, will you walk straight upstairs and get me the agenda, the blue one? What happens at the Easter Vigil? You walk in the sanctuary, and it's completely dark. It's evening, right? And what happens then, slowly but surely? Are you ready for that, Ab? One more time. Okay. No response. Okay, good. Thank you. What choice does she have? Well, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens. No. Uh, I didn't cry as a kid. Screamed. Exactly. Story is my mom. My mom used to go to work and she would cry because she couldn't believe what a bad kid I was. That's no lie. Yeah, cause she was a she was a nurse and she'd go up to the recovery room and just sob and I'd say, "What's wrong, Martha?" He's a terrible kid. She didn't actually start loving me till I was about. I'm trying to think. I'm try, no, I'm try, actually, she does love me now. See, Mary, you're now asserting. You're imposing. This is like a circuit pastor's conference. You're just imposing stuff on me. Here's, here's why I can say it, because it's not about her. It's about me. Um, I know, but God, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I was going to say, no, Maddie, what I was going to say, Can't get a word in, Vic. 
What I was going to say was, my mother didn't start loving me until I met Abby. That was when she started loving me. I know. That's right. Here we go. You remember this was chanted, <clears throat> which was very nice. You come in in the darkness at the Easter Vigil. It's silent. Nothing's going on. And the first thing that's chanted after the exalted is... <clears throat> um, this is the night. This is the night when you brought our fathers, the children of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt and led them through the Red Sea on the dry ground. Now listen to the language. This is the night. Does it ever say this is the morning? No. This is the night when you brought our fathers out of Israel or out of Egypt. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from bondage to sin. This is the night when Christ the life arose from the dead. The seal of the grave of the bro is broken, and the morning of the new creation breaks forth out of this night. So you start the Easter vigil off, and what's going on? It's nighttime. You leave, and it's morning. Why? Because now you have fully and finally the evening sacrifice. Now you have fully and finally the morning of the new creation, the eighth day. And this then carries on to the present day. Will you ever have evening and morning again? Yeah, you will according to your watch, but according to the church, is there ever evening again? No. It is always morning. It is always day. It is always the eighth day. Okay? So you have to think about things both theologically and practically. Remember I told you way back when, we talked about time, I told you that chronos in the scriptures is watch time, 2 p.m. Kairos is Christ time. This is how we live in the church now. Kairos time. So when are you going to die? Yeah, the scriptures say some people have 80, 90, you know, if they're lucky, 90 years. Uh, but it's always morning. It's always the eighth day. It's always the new creation. There is never evening again. And why is that a good thing? What happens at night? Think about all the terrible sins that can happen. About all the, yeah. Think about all the sins that happen. When do the most horrible sins happen? At night. Why do they happen at night? Because there's darkness. Okay? Because there's darkness. And if there's darkness, you can touch evil and maybe not be seen touching it. One of the worst things is when you pull out of a church parking lot and you see a group of people gathered around in cars talking, and it's darkness. So you can't quite tell who it is, but you see lots of cars. That's never good. Why is that never good? Because they know you can't see them. Right? They know you can't see them. And think about all, like, turn on the news. I can guarantee 99.9% .9 of the crimes committed happen when? At night. Go ahead. Recreating may not be the best word, but that would be, but that would be what you'd want to do. You're taking this and representing it. That's what the Eucharist is. It's actually a representation of the crucifixion. So it's not just Jesus is up in heaven and somehow he comes down to us. It's the crucifixion is made present again. Easter Vigil. 
The triumph over the grave is made present again. So you aren't just remembering it, it's a reality again. Because the eighth day never stops. Right, which is very different than represented. Re-crucifying would be one thing. Representing the crucifixion is another thing. Okay? So you're representing, because remember, that, I mean, there are people in this room whose favorite, uh, whose favorite hymn is, Lo, he comes with clouds descending. You remember the great line that says, Gaze we on those glorious stars. If you think Jesus is somehow off in heaven and has you know, blue eyes again and long blonde hair, one, you're going to be thoroughly surprised because he was a Jew, not a German, right? <laughs> you guys all sing a mighty fortress and think Jesus was a German. He wasn't a German, <laughs> okay? And the other thing is, when you get to heaven and you say, whoa, you still have holes in your hands and a pierced side and maybe even some thorn marks. What is going on? Guess what? He never loses that. Because what happened on the cross, what walked out of the tomb, remains present to this day. And that's what comes to the altar. Okay? All right, you all okay? That makes sense? So this is pointing you from Psalm, 40, Psalm 141 from David all the way to the crucifixion, the, as, the, uh, as the church fathers would call it, the dark night of the soul. This is it. You ever had a night where, don't raise your hands, but you ever had a night where uh, your soul is so troubled that you actually can't get to sleep? You ever experienced this? Okay, I just said don't raise your hands, but Maddie now gives us, she's told us, uh, the church fathers would often call that the dark night of the soul. Now, you could have a dark night of the body, like you get murdered, right? But dark night of the soul is in the darkness, when there is no light and your soul is greatly troubled, as Jesus says, um, you almost can envision no way out of what's, what's bothering you. So you got to... When that happens, you've got to point yourself back to it's the eighth day, it's the new creation, okay? Now, flip to Revelation chapter 8. So this is not only pointing you to the crucifixion, but it's ultimately pointing you from Eden to Eden. Okay? Take a look at Revelation chapter 8 and see how this lines up. When the Lamb, verse 1, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a, half an hour, about a half an hour. You wonder, like, how John is keeping track of that, okay? So John the seer, John the evangelist, is on Patmos, and, and the Lord, you just heard this, like, two weeks ago in the, in the uh, epistle. Maybe it was last week. And, and the, it was it, uh, the angel comes and says, we want you to write this down and send it to eight churches. And, of course, you see Philadelphia and think he's sending a letter to Pennsylvania, yeah, exactly. Now, it's different Philadelphia. Um, boy, this is, listen, what am I going to do with this group? <laughs> send a letter, send these letters to eight churches, and of course, then he's keeping time. He says, there was silence for about a half an hour. 
Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer. (laughs) This is great. So when someone says to you, don't spend money on nice things for a new church, all you have to say is read Revelation 8. Uh, When the Lord was building the church in Eden, he had all nice stuff, a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of light, and an earthquake. So you know in heaven, right now, yes? A censer is that thing you swing. Yes, well, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call it that because someday you're going to love it. But for now, for you, it's, it's, yes, it is. It's like the snowman. Okay, so, uh, so, uh, you know at least two things about heaven right now. There's incense. And what else is happening? They're always connected with prayer. What does it say? There's no need for sun or moon because the the lamb yeah the lamb will be its light. Okay, but you're but I mean here's the thing now get outside get outside your Lutheran box. There's incense and their prayer. Who was praying? The saints. Okay, the saints. What's that? The people up there. Yeah. You're all afraid to say it. Don't worry. You're not going to be brought up on heresy charges. I will. Okay? Incense and prayers, and the prayers are the prayers of the saints. (laughs) Which tells you that, uh, you know, if you're off in heaven, if you're worried about what the saints are doing right now, you can be certain that they're praying for you. Okay? But it's always connected with incense. Now, here's the thing. I got nothing else to say. I haven't really had anything to say. Um, so here's what I would suggest. Do you have any other comments about Psalm 141? Yeah. great for a sermon. Were you here last week? I actually brought Leslie Adams in to preach it. Um, Since she wrote most of it, I thought she should probably get the check. 
so yeah, it went very well. Actually, it was, here's the thing, it was great. Here's why it was great. Um, there were about 200 people, 200 people there, you think? About 200 people there at the funeral home. We showed up 20 minutes after the viewing started, and they said, we've already had 150 people here. After 20 minutes. That's a lot of people at a viewing, because they did a viewing and then they had a funeral. And uh, it was everybody. It was black police officers from Chicago. It was guys who were CEOs from minor league baseball teams. It was take the pick. Everybody was there. Um, and I think it went very well. Don't you think, Vic? The whole service went well. Brought the crucifix. We did all the good stuff. So, so thanks for all your help. That was nice. I think, uh, Rebecca, I think you're right. Um, you are, in some sense, a censor. Um, I, would, I, would que I would ask, so now you all can respond, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Okay, that's one way of viewing it, that it actually, you're actually asking for it over and over and over again. What's another way of viewing pray without ceasing? Because I'll be honest, if that's, if, that's the, if that's the model, my guess is most of you aren't praying without ceasing. Right? Some of you maybe, and this happens. I mean, you go to, if your kid goes to the ER, you're going to pray without ceasing. Because you're going to ask over and over and over and over and over again. Now go ahead, Jeanette. Good. Yep, exactly. So it's more than just, it's not just about you. What else? Go ahead. Yes. Good. So it's not you praying, it's Christ praying, right? So that should... Here's the thing. Sometimes when you say, not you, but when people say pray without ceasing, is that heard as a burden or a gift? See, now you say gift. You know why? Because you're retired. <laughs> you are. Do you, have, do you think all these, not, not all these, but look at, the, look at the people who, let's take Holly right. Do you think Holly's praying right now? <laughs> right now she's saying, Exactly. Yes, that's okay. Bad example. Okay. Bad. Okay. You're right. You're right. Good. We'll keep going. Jack? Oh. Okay. Okay, good. So tell me what the talking looks like, because I'll, because I, again, let me just, I'll offer it up, I'll propose, not everybody in this room is talking all the time to Jesus. So what does that look like? Okay, that doesn't have to be formal. Yep, right. Right. Let's go to Carol, and then we'll go to you. Is that okay? Carol, go ahead. Yes. Okay, good. Fill in the gaps now, Lisa. Do you have any more? Good. Okay. Because here's, just test this, okay? 
let's say, let's say you got a, your kid goes to the ER. Let's just pick that because that, that's, close to, you know, that's close to home for everybody, okay? Your child is very sick, right? Kid goes to the ER, um, young kid. My guess is at that moment, you're going to pray and pray and pray. We went to see Drake, right, when Drake was sick. My guess is before we walked in the room, they were praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and a little crazy and getting on the phone and calling people to come. But there's something about, real honestly, when a pastor walks in the room, my guess is you thought, we can take a moment and we don't have to do the praying. Right? Someone will pray for us. But when your kid's there, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, 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 praying. You're praying without ceasing. I also bet that when your kid's in the ER, that's precisely the moment when you don't know what to pray. Right? So you're praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, and yet you stop and you say, I have no idea what to say. So now, we've got, so now we've got a conundrum because we've got a situation where we've got to pray without ceasing, but we don't know what to pray. So my, I pose the question then, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Now for you, you're looking, you're looking like you're going to retort here in just a second. For you, that may be talking with Jesus. For other people in the room, they don't have the time to do that right now. So what is praying without ceasing? you got a kid in the ER, you want to pray without ceasing, you don't know what to say. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It's probably closer to what Lisa and Carol said, which is, it could be very formal, it could be talking to Jesus, it could be getting up and going to work. Because it's not about Maddie, it's about Christ. And that's why the scriptures say, the spirit is within us and he groans without ceasing. So to pray without ceasing is to be connected to Jesus. That's all it is. And then there are times when you actually do pray, but overall, to pray without ceasing is to be connected to Christ. Because when you don't know what to say, or you don't have time to say it, or you're in the ER and you're worried about your kid, Jesus will pray for you. And the saints. And you should, I hope you take great comfort in that. To me, it's comforting. Now some people, sort of this rubs them the wrong way, but to me, this is very comforting to know when you're in a terrible situation, or even in a good situation, it's not just that the congregation's praying for you. You have all the saints who have gone before you who are actually praying at that very moment. So, you know, people, people do some goofy things, and I'm going to say it, but you may have been involved. Like people say, well, let's get the prayer warriors out. Guess what? They always are. So there's no, the Lord can't be persuaded by things. He's not going to say, finally, they organize the prayer warriors, I'll give them what they want. St. John has been through hell, but you know what? Thank God they got the prayer warriors together, finally they can have it. That doesn't, that doesn't matter one bit. What matters is that people are connected to Jesus. And you should take comfort in knowing that you have thousands upon thousands of saints who have gone before you who know precisely what to pray. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, ask yourself this question. If there was ever a moment when people weren't in prayer, what would happen to the world? I'd say it's more than that. It's like I say all the time. If there was ever a moment where the Eucharist wasn't being offered, the world would cease to exist. It can't exist without the presence of Christ. And it can't exist without prayer. So if there were ever a moment... I know, buddy. We're almost done with the pain. We are almost done. 25 more minutes and I'll let these ladies out early. I can feel it. I feel the exact same way you do. I know! I know! They're about to do the same thing. Good. Tell us about it. 
Well, and it also shows you, and this is the simple part of it, but in some sense it's very complex. Look back at the past 18 months to 24 months. What's the thing that's got us in the most trouble? Exactly right. And so this, so if you don't, so yeah, so here's the, here's the default. If you don't know if you can say something nice, you shouldn't say anything at all. Guard my lips. Yep. So you say at night, guard the door to my lips. Then you remember matins, the first prayer in the morning. What's the first thing you say at matins? Oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. So you guard them at night because you know you can't say anything nice, and it's nighttime, and you could get away with a lot. Pick up the phone, I am, text, three cents a text. But you could still do it, right? At Sprint, it is unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is a very strange thing. Oftentimes when people get caught up in, in sins of the tongue, they're doing it because they actually have convinced themselves that they're going to help somebody else out. And that's why And that's why led by saying evil often appears to be enticing. It looks to be helpful. And and and, and the greatest sin, it'd be one thing if you just thought evil things would be fun. It's another thing if you engage in evil things because you've convinced yourself you might help yourself out or someone else out. When, e when, good is, when evil is disguised as good, that's the greatest sin. Yeah, how does he get validation? He gets you to join in. Right? And think about yourself. When you open your mouth and you start to talk, is it easy to stop? I don't mean talking in general. I mean, for some of you, that's not easy either. But, uh, but when you open, especially when you're engaged in evil, why, why does it continue on? I mean, think about it. When's the last time you had a conversation like this? Why does an evil conversation carry on the way it does? What goes through your head? Or what doesn't go through your head? That's part of it. You don't know how to stop it. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very well said. Yes. It's an interesting thing. And I, I said this. Yeah. Right. Completely agree. When we did James and Galatians, I said this in the James Bible study and received a multitude of emails saying I must be wrong. But I said something like, remember James says, what, what does the tongue do? He compares it to what? The rudder on a ship. So your tongue controls you. And my point was, it's very strange that while your tongue controls you, you with your tongue can control someone else. So what you, so what's, you know, what drives you, you neglect. And in neglecting it, you drive someone else. Isn't that a very strange thing? When I say, good morning, good to see you, say, you don't really mean that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, people can object to anything. I don't know. I, well, because those are probably people who had trouble guarding their tongue. It's a very difficult thing to be, especially implicitly, called out on sin. It's one thing to do it explicitly, like, I heard this, but to sort of say, this isn't best, and then someone knows they've done it, that's a difficult thing. Thank you for your comment, Rebecca. That was helpful. You gave me another 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, Carol, you had something. 
No, let's go slowly, because I can't. You're very smart. I'm trying to keep up with you. No, I mean that seriously. I'm trying to keep up with what you're. I'm trying to figure out exactly what you're saying. Yes, right, yeah. So it's neither evening nor morning. It's right in the middle. Yeah? Yeah. At evening. Yeah. Yes, good point. You're right. For you and I, when we go to work, the day begins in the morning. And in the church, even though we're Westerners, when does the day begin? In the evening. That's why, yeah, exactly. That's why even on Saturday night, if you come to a Saturday night service, the prayers are all the same thing you'd hear the next morning. Yeah. It, yeah, it's strange because let's just take this day, the sixth day. There was a morning that morning. During the noon hour, it became evening, and it remained evening into the night. That is, um, I got to think about that a little more. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah. Could very well. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's the same thing when, uh, when um, Joshua walks around the city of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, right? I was trying to think of the song. Uh, but yeah, exactly. But you remember it goes dark and there's this strange thing and scientists have said, oh, maybe it was an eclipse. Or Here's the thing. Yeah, it probably was. But what are the odds of that happening at that time? And Christ, and that, so it's not like Christ said, "Okay, I'm going to make everything dark now." Somehow, somehow things aligned, and that's when it happened. Yeah, it's a very strange thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Say that again? I don't know what it means. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I agree. It's very striking that there's a morning. There's not an evening because the evening carries on. Remember, they try to get their bodies. They even say, we've got to get their bodies down before evening time. So there is an evening that night. But why it happens at how? Yeah. Yes. There's never a night again. Yeah. You know that great Tuesday piece we sing during Lent? We used, to, we used to end all the Lenten services with it. Our darkness is never darkness in your sight. Uh, what's the next line? The deepest, clear as the daylight. Yeah. So there's never darkness again. And that's why all the, throughout the scriptures they say, don't live in darkness. That's not your place. 
you have a question? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yes, okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh yeah, and the common theme in both of those is the present. What are the what are the people on the road to Emmaus worried about? They don't want to be alone. And what's going to happen? And what does he do? Right before he disappears from their sight, he... Yeah, but more than that, how does he open, it, open their eyes? He breaks bread and blesses it. He does, it's Eucharistic action. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and as soon as he started to break the bread, their eyes were opened, they saw it was Jesus, and he disappeared. That was a Eucharist. So how is he present with them? They say, stay with us, Lord, for it's evening. He gives them the Eucharist, and he is present. He's present not only on, on, the, on the table there, he's present in them. So the key theme is presence. And then with Peter, when he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, it's always that great story where he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he uses all the different words for love. And then he says, finally, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. That is specifically... Um, first and foremost, a reference to the ministry. So it is about everyone, but, but Peter, of course, is the minister. He's the chief pastor. And for him as well, when he sends them out in the morning, how is he present? Yeah, with food. And what did he do to Peter at night, the night of the resurrection? He appeared in the upper room and he said, receive my Holy Spirit. So he ordains Peter and sends him out. The key is the presence. I mean, here's the basic thing. No one wants to be alone and no one wants to be unloved. And if you're alone and unloved at night, it's even more devastating. It's even more devastating. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if you've touched evil, you go unprotected. That's a scary thing. So the Lord protects those whom he loves, and those who are... The Lord never destroys people. I mean, that's the thing. Even people that you think are terribly evil and terribly deserving of punishment, the Lord does not do it. But, yeah, but, yeah, yes, you do. But the consolation is evil can't stand. It just can't. Sometimes it appears like it's going on and on and on and on and on. But eventually, and the great thing is, evil actually destroys itself. It's self-imploding. And that's why you yourself touch evil. That's the scary thing. I, I mean, I would just think about this as you go home. If you've ever talked about someone else and some of the things they've been doing, you know, you think you're sort of trying to help them out, like you said. My guess is, sooner or later, you'll be engaged in the same activity that they've been engaged in. Because when you touch it, it actually becomes a part of you. And if it becomes a part of you, it will destroy you. That doesn't mean you don't sin. That doesn't mean I don't sin. Or even that we touch evil. But there's a difference between touching it and getting away, and touching it and staying nearby. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, you can. I'm just trying, I'm on the fly now trying to figure out. There are certainly, part of the trouble is, you know, people say you can't read hearts. That's true. But you can read all the other signs. I mean, if you read the Gospels, Jesus can read hearts. 
But usually when Jesus makes a decision, it's because he's read actions. So you're right. You could, deep down, hate me and hate the church and hate everything about us, and I would never know that. But when you start acting that way, I'd probably know that. So along those lines, you really do have to begin to read sort of actions because there are people who are at different levels. Some people have not touched evil. I'd propose that most people have. (laughs) There are people that have touched evil and gotten away. And there are people that have touched evil, and in touching it, it's actually become a part of them. Now, while you don't, you hate no man, because Christ hates no man. Um, But I wonder, and this is something you gotta test, I wonder if there's a time when you could say, that person is more than just, we're not just vessels. We're not just vessels. We actually become what we, this is why you you become what you eat. You become what you touch. I wonder if there's ever a point where someone can say, that not only is evil action, that is evil. I mean, you're evil. That's something you got to think about. Because I I would, and believe me, that's not something you do lightly. Um, But I do think there is some time where people are so caught up in it that it actually becomes a part of them. That's why why it said in the reading for today, if if you do evil, you're actually a child of the devil. That's a scary thing. Completely agree. Yep, right. I think I said to you about a week ago, I, maybe it was you, I think I said something like, if you get angry, they've won. <laughs> because, and that's the thing, because what is evil, now let's not even talk about the person, let's talk about Satan and evil. What does evil want? Does it want you to be a good wife and a good mother and a good friend and a good Christian, or does it want you to sit at your house and pace back and forth and say, what can I do? Yeah, because that's chaos and it's not productive. Who, I mean, people who are caught up in grave sins, like cannot keep their nose out of things, you know what they should do? Get a job. Not you. (laughs) They should get a job. Oftentimes you have people who, I mean, it's like people who have nothing else going on. Those are the people who have all the time in the world to sit around and tell lies and gossip. Or on the flip side, people who, um, that's what Satan wants from good people, to not be productive. I mean, efficiency is of the gospel. And stewing is not efficiency, and that means Satan's won. That's what he wants. So, yeah, it's a very tough thing. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, just as a last word, that's, that's exactly right. And so if you're struggling with that, you know, if you're struggling with folks who have done evil or have hurt you. That's why Jesus says in the Gospels, you know, pray for those who, pray for those, pray for your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And that's sort of the, that's the way through it because it takes a ton of humility on your part to pray for your enemies and to do good for those who hate you. And suddenly, and that's what Jesus did. Suddenly you're not thinking about them, you're thinking about someone else. You're thinking about Christ, the only one who can really answer that and square that up. Yeah. Yep, right. Yeah. Right. 
uh, somebody gave a lecture yesterday at Wheaton College, and, and the guy stood up and said something like, this is after N.T. Wright, the Bishop of Durham, gave his last lecture for a pre-conference and then left, and he stood up and said, I wish the bishop was still here because I'd like to say there were no pastors in the early church. It was all believers. It was all Christians, and they just worked things out. Well, you can see, case in point, how that happens. Because in this room, you can have 20 different understandings of what the text says. So, and that creates chaos, and chaos is of the devil. And so what do you need? The scriptures and someone to read them, <laughs> right? I mean, you can read them, but you need someone to read them and say, this is what's best, this is the way we go. All right, let's pray. Um, do you have a psalm for next week? We'll shoot us an email. It might be the vicar. It might be, I, I hope it's Bruzek. Um, I've been down here like nine times in a row. Uh, no, I don't begrudge him or you. So let's pray, and uh, if you've got one, send it to us, okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.